You need a network security person. You need a data architecture person. You need an analytics person. You need to have someone that is proficient with the business so that they can really make sure that the use cases are tied to the solution that you're providing. You need a UI UX person because like Hector mentioned, I mean, the consumer applications are really driving the standards of how this application will look and feel. And the list goes on, right? So all of a sudden, if you have one conversation, you could very quickly start to get the cortisol like shooting all the way up thinking, I don't want to do that. Maybe we need to start thinking about just buying. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show Today, we're going to talk to you about the very popular decision that companies have to make. It's the build versus buy decision when it comes to software. We're going to have three panelists joining us in the session today. We're going to hear from Ashley Kramer. She's the Chief Product Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at SciSense. We're going to hear from Marvin Mayorga. He's a partner at Data Meaning and Hector Vasquez, VP of Solutions at Data Meaning. Before I bring them up on stage, I always like to start out with a question to the audience. So my question to you today is, where are you tuning in from? And by where, I don't mean like the country or the state. I mean, where are you in your house? Are you back in the office? Are you sitting in the park somewhere listening to this live session? Let us know where you're tuning in from. And also, have you heard of SciSense data meaning? Let us know in the comments. We are taking questions throughout the session, so no need to hold off. If you've got a burning question or comment you want to make, go ahead and put those in the comments and we'll try to address them as soon as we can. All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring up our panelists. We've got Ashley, we've got Marvin, we've got Hector here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dedicated Show. Okay, thanks for having us. Hello, hello. All right, so I always love to hear from the interviewees, who are you? You know, I think we could start with Ashley. So who is Ashley Kramer? Tell the audience. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Ashley Kramer, as Kate mentioned. I'm currently the Chief Product and Marketing Officer at SciSense. And for those of you not familiar with SciSense, our mission is to help people infuse analytics everywhere. So really bring actionable intelligence to end customers, to internal employees. And often what we talk about is exactly what we're going to talk about today, build versus buy. Prior to this, I was SVP of product at a company called Alteryx. It's a data science and analytics platform. And then prior to that, I built Tableau's cloud product from the ground up. So I was part of that generation of analytics and was very fortunate to be involved with a great team there. And then finally, prior to that, I was at Amazon in the early AWS days. So if you think about it, cloud plus data plus data science plus analytics was the perfect road to get me right where I am in my seat at SciSense today. Awesome. What an incredible background. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on build versus buy. Let's hear from Marvin Mayorga. Who is Marvin? Let's go on and move to you. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Marvin Mayorga. I'm a partner at Data Meaning. The uh, role that I really play in the organization is as an enterprise solution architect. So facilitating customers with enterprise data strategy and just looking at the overall big picture. I've been in the data and analytics space probably over the last uh, 20, 21 years now. And I've been essentially doing the exact same thing since then. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, Marvin. Thank you. And last but definitely not least, Hector, let's hear all about you. 
Hey, good morning, everyone. Yes, um, as Kate already mentioned, I'm VP of Solutions for Data Meaning. I have been doing that for the last four years. My role is uh, a little more tactical than Marvin. Really, I help customers to get the most out of their data uh, by plugging together multiple options they have in the cloud. Prior to, prior to this role, I spent about a good chunk of my career, about 15 years or so in MicroStrategy, different capacities. First, I was part of the IT department. I was part of the team who was really using MicroStrategy within MicroStrategy. And eventually, I moved to a role where I was part of the technology team as VP of uh, and product owner. So I have had a chance to really experience what is to eat your own dog food. Yes, <laughs> I love that phrase. Yes, eat your own dog food. Absolutely. Interestingly, someone here, Ina, is currently walking her dog. As <laughs> I should have brought my dogs with me. I left them out of the office today. <laughs> yes, we're always welcome uh, pets to, to join us. We've got people from Scotland working from home. We've got Felipe at the home, uh, at home in the office, folks from India. Chris actually just bought a Sison's license this Yay! year. Welcome to the team, Chris. Yay. Yeah, people from uh, everywhere. Beach, oh, beach, I wish. Okay, yeah, I think a lot of us <laughs> wish we were at the beach yeah. today. Uh, Brazil working from home. Yes, people are just uh, joining us from all over the world and really hoping to have them learn a lot about this build versus buy decision. But before we really get into that topic, I do want to get a better understanding of how does SciSense and data meaning work together? How did you all meet? Sure. Um, that's a that's a great question. I'll take a first stab at it. So um, for those of you that know, don't know, SciSense is about an 800-person company, and we really pride ourselves on not just selling software, but really partnering with our customers through the initial um, buying phase of, do I need this? Why do I need it? What will it take to be successful? And then post-implementation. But as you can imagine, we have over 2,000 customers. We can't do it alone. So we partner with great partners that are resellers and implementers like Data Meaning to really come together and help make our customers successful. Awesome. Thank you for that. Marvin, Hector, anything anything you want to add on the, on the relationship here? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to synthesize that and just say, look, they build the software we, we implemented. That's kind of the, the quick and dirty. But, you know, another more fancy way of saying that is, is we're a data and analytics consultancy. Our job and responsibility is to help our customers ultimately be successful with their enterprise data strategy. And that means that the success could come from any technology. And so our role really as an industry sort of thought leader um, being positioned in order to be able to support our customers is to constantly be looking at uh, technologies in the market that will be able to help us accomplish that goal. And so the relationship with SciSense came through that research that we personally did on our own to determine who are the top providers for this specific use case. Um, and obviously SciSense was at the top. Great. Thank you. And Hector, if you could just tell us a little bit more about data meaning, are, are you guys focused as a data analytics consultancy on any specific regions or industries or just uh, sectors? Where Where is your sweet spot? Well, uh, we, um, from a geographic perspective, I think we have a very good presence in the East Coast in the U.S. I don't think we particularly focus on any particular vertical. I think we have customers in many industries from hospitality to healthcare and so forth. Um, really, probably, if we had to decide about a niche, probably we like to work really closely with the C-suite and upper management, trying to identify high-level challenges they may be having when it comes to exploring and making use of their data. 
Mm-hmm. I would say probably that's our our focus, right? Trying to really understand the problem from a business perspective as opposed to a technical or tactical point of view. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. All right. I think we can go ahead and move into our build versus buy decision. And the first question I'll have for the panel here today is when does this question typically come up in an organization, right? We have a company, abcstore.com or something. And uh, what's happening in that company that's making them ask this question of, do I build the software or do I buy the software? Um, I'm, I'm happy to start. I, I won't start every question, I promise. But um, this is one I feel pretty passionate about. I see it in different categories. So the first is they want to gain a competitive advantage. Others aren't doing this. Others don't have it as part of either their products or their workflow. The second is the more unfortunate one. They need to catch up. The competitors actually do have it. The third is trying to figure out how to drive more engagement. Often, if you're using analytics to either drive the experience or just to deliver data to customers or to your employees to make smarter decisions, that really uh, generates a lot of momentum. And the final one is an interesting one that we're seeing more and more of. Um, often it's a way to create a new revenue stream. You have mm-hmm. something different to sell, whether it's its own application or part of your company, your product. And so those are the four, um, I'm sure I'm missing some, and I'm sure the two gentlemen will jump in, but those are the four categories that I often see where companies have this moment where they say, we need to, we need to do something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I may add to, to Ashley's answer, right? Another situation we often see as practitioners is when an organization is having difficulties keeping up with the rate of change, right? Uh, probably at first they decided to go with a build option, but the number of enhancements and requests coming from their customers is such that they are realizing uh, what they have is not good enough. And that's when, also when they start considering a buy solution that is able to, to keep up with, with the sophistication and the changes users are now demanding. As a, as a vendor in the market, we actually call that customers boomeranging because because often they'll say, no, 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 we're going to build it ourselves. They try. It's pretty unsuccessful, unfortunately. And then they boomerang back and 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 come to the experts. Yeah, it's almost like when we're, we were doing renovations on the house and we thought we could do it ourselves. And then we're like, I've made that mistake in this very house. <laughs> it's not us too. So yeah, <laughs> not smart. Yes. And then to add to that, too, one one sort of other sort of perspective, um, slightly different, but similar, similar lines, because one thing you would ask yourself is, you know, why not use a complete off the shelf solution, something that is not necessarily as customizable. And one of the major factors is, is quite frankly, just cost. Right. I mean, from a licensing perspective, it can become overwhelming if you're going to be rolling out an application that's going to be going to, let's say, thousands of users or maybe in some extreme situations, you can't really quantify how many users you're going to expect. Well, guess what? From a CFO perspective, that is incredibly difficult to negotiate with your CFO to tell them, oh, by the way, I can't tell you exactly how much you're going to spend is going to be over the next three years. And so that's another, that's another reason why organizations would begin this conversation is to determine, okay, well, can we go with an OEM type of solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting. Uh, thank you all for sharing this. One follow up question I had. So, Ashley, you mentioned the, the top two reasons that or times when an organization might ask the, themselves this question is when they're either trying to gain a competitive edge or they're trying to play catch up. And the question to everyone here is, 
when is it more likely? Like which, from your personal experience, what have you seen as being kind of the number one reason? Was it trying to catch up or folks that just trying to really think ahead and gain that competitive advantage? I like to think we work with the world's most innovative companies. So I, I'd like to think um, it's not in every case. Sometimes you hear, you know, an analyst advised us that we're missing this. But in, I would say in a lot of cases, it's to gain that competitive advantage, to gain more revenue in a unique way. So that that's um, and that's we're fortunate to work with modern companies that, that are forward thinking. All right. Marvin, Hector, what have you guys seen? You know, it's 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 difficult, and I hate to give you the traditional sort of consultant response, but uh, the, the the reasons will actually vary um, across organization. Sometimes they may be budgetary. Sometimes they may be um, just in in-house resource skill sets. Right, your ability to actually be able to execute your own build will significantly impact that. So, for example, companies in the West Coast are highly proficient and can basically build just about anything. Not to knock on the East Coast, but it is is, is just something to consider and something to acknowledge that, well, a lot of the software that's being built, it comes out of the West Coast. Right? So that's just something to, to keep in mind as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I have much more to add to that. I think, as, as Marvin said, we see so many things. It's difficult for me to identify one single number one reason, right? I would probably have to admit that in many cases, I'll go back to my previous answer, right? It's, it's customers who have now realized how difficult it is to provide solutions that can match what now consumers are expecting, right? Uh, I think something that has changed in the last 10 to 15 years is now the consumer applications are the ones setting the standard for about certification and the user experience. And now these consumers are going to the enterprise and expecting the same level of polish. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it's difficult sometimes to accomplish that with deal solutions. And that's when people also realize they have to go to a buy solution that will give them that ability. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there are a lot of factors that play into this decision, which we'll definitely get into. First, I just want to quickly check in to some of the questions that came in from the live audience. So Scott saying, if he wants to build his own software, does he have to move, Marvin? I, that- I want to I want to note that Sciences is headquartered in New York. <laughs> so, so, and I'm from Pennsylvania originally. <laughs> no, it's it's just it's just a generalization. Right. If you want to build your own software, obviously, if you've got the skill sets and and that was the only point that I was making, it just again, it just so happens that many of the West Coast companies happen to have resources that are highly proficient in custom um, software development. But to be quite frank with you, I think, you know, going back to my previous point, I think the conversation is really just because of the point that even Hector mentioned. The standards are so high that are being set by these consumer applications that it's actually incredibly difficult and difficult in many factors, difficult just from a resourcing perspective in order to be able to have the resources that can actually execute in custom software development, difficult from a cost prohibitive perspective, whereas it is incredibly expensive to try to build your own software because the rate of change that you need to keep up Mm-hmm. is so fast that you have to have an entire development team to build a software. And so, for example, when you begin to do the ROI, in some cases, it may not make sense, right? Because maybe the ROI isn't significantly high enough to be able to justify having an entire development team that's constantly updating the right. software. So the point that I want to make is, is I actually really do think that it's 
not as much the conversation of do I build my own custom software from scratch or or do you know I buy? I think really it's more of do I go completely off the shelf or do I do a solution like SciSense, which is an OEM customizable white label type of solution? Yeah, thank you so much for that. I think it's a decision that a lot of companies have to make on a regular. And my next question to the panel here is, who would you say has to make this decision in an organization? And I know already, Marvin, you're going to say it depends, right? Consultants speak. It depends on the company, depends on the different roles. But in I think if we can generalize in general, which maybe departments or types of individuals that have to make these decisions? All right, I'll, I'll give it a go. I think, strictly speaking, the decision itself usually sits very high in the organization, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a considerable investment. So typically, you will see the decision maker in the C-suite, right? Probably a more interesting question is who are the influencers of that decision? And that's when you have a lot of players in that space. You have people from a technology background, right, who are trying to advise as far as what are the implications of one decision versus the other, especially from a cost perspective? Then you have the product owners, right? Who are trying to get to market as quickly as possible, who are trying to stay up to date with what the market is offering. And then finally, of course, you have the people from the finance department who are also trying to provide insight as to what are the projections for the upcoming quarters or the upcoming years and to what degree they can put money on one decision or the other. That's probably what I can say in this regard. I don't know if Marvin will actually have. So. Yeah, I mean, more than definitely from, a, again, going back to, to your comment, Kate, generalization perspective, you more than definitely absolutely have to have a te- technical counterpart within the organization that is advising on the decision. That is definitely one thing that I would advise any organization in general, that if you don't have that technical counterpart that can synthesize all of the information that the consultants will give you, that the the, the product developers or, or the software technology companies will say, hey, listen, this is why you should do that. You absolutely need to have that technical, strong technical advisor. And then I would say maybe Ashley and Hector, you could talk about what are the skill sets that that technical advisor should be able to advise on. I think that that would be incredibly important. Can, can you all hear me? I lost Mike for, okay, and I'm, you're really soft. So um, I'm going to kick that question to Hector, but then I want to chime in with a few thoughts on, on this subject. So I'll kick that initial question over to Hector. Yes, I'll try to be very concise in my answer, but as far as the skills, I think you really want someone with experience, right? Has been in, in the space for quite some time because of the following. When you're making the buy versus build decision, it's very easy to miss the considerations after the product is out there, right? It's very different to create something and put something in the market versus doing maintenance and providing updates to that piece of software, right? So you're making the decision, you need to take into consideration the entire life cycle of your product, right? Because one more time, usually, the buy decision will prove its value when it comes to the time to support and maintain that piece of software. So if you don't have someone with that experience, that someone may be biased to a build decision, right? Because the one only thing they will see is, oh my gosh, a new contract, a new commercial relationship to maintain, pricing to be agreed upon. And yes, that's something to consider, to be considered, but it's not everything. So you really need to think about your product two years from now, five years from now, and that's one more time when typically the buy decision will start making more sense. And if you don't have someone who has gone through that experience, they may not have a, a good feeling to that. 
Yeah, I'd like to jump in here. So in a past role, I won't say which one because I introduced many that I've had. As a product leader, I actually made the decision in coordination with my CTO for us to build it ourselves. And it was a lot of money, a lot of time, and something that we ended up not necessarily completely deprecating, but not having a bunch or a lot of customer usage like we would have. And the reason was a little bit of what you both just talked about, which was we didn't know what we didn't know. Even having come from an analytics background, we didn't know what we didn't know. And the other problem was what that particular platform did had nothing to do with actual visualization analytics. And so when it came to scaling the data to it and all of the different skill sets and focus that was needed, we chose that that wasn't actually the focus of what was going to make our platform better. And really buying would have been the better decision. So this is something near and dear to my heart that I've even made the decision as a product leader to do. I won't make that uh, that mistake again. And that's actually why I joined SciSense because I looked at the product and thought, this is what I should have used. But I had I had no idea this option existed back then. That, yeah, that's very interesting. I guess we, we all learn from our mistakes, right, Ashley? That's uh, I hope so. It's <laughs> usually. We had but, a comment but you know, here. You know what, though, sorry, really quick, Kate, because I'd say back then, Ashley, we didn't have as many technologies like SciSense that, number one, had this capability, and number two, was able to provide this capability to such a large you know, audience, meaning the industry as a whole. We just didn't have that many options back then. And I think that now organizations are benefiting from technologies like SciSense that actually have the capability to offer this to, to the industry. No, I think that's absolutely correct. You're, you're right. And, and we're fortunate that those levers exist now. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I think in the next five, 10 years, I doubt companies will be building just about anything because uh, the uh, existing companies are innovating New companies tend to crop up and deliver on most of the needs that people have. So I, I guess there is a space, maybe a small space for organizations that need to build their very, very unique custom build or maybe proprietary software. But it seems like there's a consensus here that for the most part, it's probably easier or it makes more sense to buy. We had a comment here from Brendan who sums it up pretty nicely. He says that, you know, the big problem with digital transformation is that they think they can do it themselves, but then they need help from the outside with software strategy, etc. And this is what we're talking about here today, right? We all think that it's it's a lot of times it's easier to buy, but people have this misconception that they think they could do it themselves. And my question to you guys is, how long do you think it typically takes them to realize this is probably something I can buy? How much time do they invest or money that goes down the drain when they're trying to build their own software applications? I'm more on the sales front of the house because they'll typically bring me in when they're having these conversations. So I think that, you know, I, I could probably address that a little bit. I'd say, I'd say the other thing that's changed is uh, the, the sales organizations are much more knowledgeable and have the ability to really articulate all of the pain points associated to the build decision. And so as a result of that, I think that we get to that decision very quickly, to be quite frank with you. Because if you begin to highlight all of the things that are necessary, all of the components that are necessary for you to build when you're building an overall solution, it's very quick, the decision, right? So for example, if we were just to spit out a couple Okay, well, what do you need? For an application, you need not only an infrastructure person, you need a network security person, you need a data architecture person, you need an analytics person, 
you need to have someone that is proficient with the business so that they can really make sure that the use cases are tied to the solution that you're providing. You need a UI UX person because like Hector mentioned, I mean, the consumer applications are really driving the standards of how this application will look and feel. And the list goes on, right? So all of a sudden, if you have one conversation, you could very quickly start to get the cortisol like shooting all the way up thinking, I don't want to do that. Maybe we need to start thinking about just buying. Yeah, my experience, again, I'm going to put the hat on of not the, the CPO at SciSense, but having built this myself before, every sprint, you notice there's new things you didn't know about and new problems that you're going to encounter. And we use a lot of open source in, in my experience in libraries and the things we needed wasn't there. So we built custom code around it. And then where the real eye opener was beta V1, put it in customer hands. And the beauty of analytics is the millions of different ways that people use it and all of the different scenarios of bringing the data together and, and presenting it. And so for us, the big eye-opening moment was beta. Some customers started using it and you know, not many were able to say, this has been wildly successful. This is exactly what we needed. And that's where we had to really think, do we want to focus a large team on this going forward or do we want to get back to our core and what we're good at as a platform? And so that's my answer would be around around the development V1 phase is where you start to see it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, probably my answer will, will be a, a little different from Marvin's, right? I think it's very easy to make the recommendation and many companies do realize that. Sadly, still, you have organizations that still need to go through the pain to realize that what you told them, you know, had a good reason for it, right? And typically, those organizations will go deep into their financials before they realize that they should have bought something, mm -hmm. right? Trying to piggyback off a comment that Ashley made, right? Another thing that happens with software like uh, Sysense is that the feedback loop is very short, right? Sure. You can quickly iterate, you can quickly adjust. Whereas in a build solution, typically you have to wait until the next sprint for you to see the feedback you put, like as a product owner, right? You have to wait until the next sprint so that you can see in the screen the feedback you gave to the team. And, and one more time, at the end of the day, that will take money, right? Because it's a development team who is burning money throughout different iterations before you see what you're hoping for. Yeah, you know, I love that you brought up the concept of money and cost. And I think this came through from all three of you when it comes to making this decision, because I've seen companies want to buy software and their organization says, wow, that costs a lot of money because there's a dollar sign right in front of them. Let's try to build it, right? What a great idea. We can build it in-house. We have people. They're smart. What's wrong with this picture? Why is this a bad idea? I mean, it's the failure to understand the long-term investment, right? As, as more and more customers use it and have those enhancement requests and those feature requests and the resource, the architecture, the, the data costs on top of that. And so that's one of the things I think, you know, all of us on this call, except for you, Kate, are involved in every day, trying to help the customers understand long-term what this looks like. This might look like a scary price point up front, but let's talk about the long-term ROI. And when we've had customers tell us within a quarter of implementing SciSense as part of their product, they're seeing up to 400% ROI just in the first quarter. That's not every customer, but that's very reassuring to hear that they're seeing that instant impact. Wow, that's that's great. Anything from um, Hector Marvin that you want to add on this? Well, you used to, you know, my background at the end of the day is a technical background, right? And and I will say that we people who love technology also love to create, 
right? And, and typically in the organizations when the technology team is faced with that decision, they will, their nature will go for the build, right? Because there's an opportunity for them to create, to put their expertise to use. Um, but definitely nowadays, um, cost is a humongous factor, right? I mean, of course, you can put your creativity to a different use once you start working with an OEM software. But that's one more time. I have to say, typically, the technology advisor, the first nature will say, give me a chance to build this, right? I can do it better. I can do it quicker. I can do it faster. And, and often, it's not the case. And the, the cost implication is what will make them to realize is not the best option. And going back to Ashley's point, um, you really need to think in the long term to realize how many times a buy solution will give you the best bang for your money and your time. And then finally, to, to add to that, I, you know, I, I like to speak in terms of examples just to sort of make correlations. And this is not going to be perfect. And by the way, I think my next comment is going to be probably highly controversial for those Hadoop maximalists, right? But I, I want to give the example because this is the analytics community. And I think that many of us are very familiar with what happened with our industry when back in the days we were talking about big data. Now organizations are finally doing big data. But if you recall back in the day, you know, the conversation started very similar with Hadoop. Right. And so many organizations, they said, oh, this is fantastic. Distributed processing, distributed data will get much faster. At the end of the day, this is the future of what we now call MPP technology, massive parallel processing. And now what I would argue is, hey, listen, just look at what happened there and then see if this isn't similar to what's happening here. So what happened during that time is many organizations thought, well, I'm going to solve my big data problem from a data processing um, and data storage perspective by building it myself in Hadoop. Right. And then fast forward that to today, how many organizations do you know? I'm speaking to the audience now. Do you know that actually went down the Hadoop route, started cutting their teeth on Hadoop and ultimately backed away and started purchasing the technologies that are out there now out of the box? And I would argue it's a very similar sort of analogy, right, where you're going to cut your teeth heavily and you're going to have very similar problems to the problems that the organizations had when they were trying to do it themselves in Hadoop. Yeah, and I want to I say one last thing on this topic. What I think is really important is giving that CTO, product leader, developers, the sense that you're not saying, hey, here's this giant black box that we're just going to try to stuff into your platform. So the way the approach size sense is taken is we're componentized, open APIs everywhere. So you want to add some of your own code on top of it. You want to customize it to look and feel exactly like your company and do things that maybe SciSense doesn't have out of the box. Great. Go do that. So that way they're not feeling like, you know, their product is their baby and they're not feeling like they're just putting all of this reliance on this, this other platform that's becoming part of theirs. And so I think that extensibility is a really, really important piece of the story too. And that's, we can collaborate with them and show them that. That's where I see everybody kind of take a deep breath and really start to understand the power of what we'll handle and what they can do on top of it. And, you know, Ashley, you, you just, you, there's some key words sort of that jumped out that, that just made me think of one final point. At the end of the day, we do business with people, not with businesses. Now, the reason I mention that is, you know, Ashley mentioned collaboration. Well, guess what? With a partner like SciSense, 
you're going to be able to lean on them and, you know, not to put you on the spot, Ashley, but you can actually hold them accountable for the technology. And this is something to where if you build it, you're on your own. You know, you may as well be on an island somewhere that nobody's going to help you. Now, who wants that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that if we work together, we win. Um, and so I think that that's another important thing, you know, from a technology partnership, you can lean on your technology partner, but then I would even go one step further, which is that's another reason, you know, is the human factor, which is one of the reasons why we selected SciSense as one of the technology partnerships for this type of use cases, because these are real people that will actually go to bat for you in our experience, you know, on projects, if something was to not go south, but if you needed some additional support, right? They're not going to leave you to the side. They're a very intimate organization that will truly partner with you. So I think that that's something that is, is just unquantifiable. Yeah, I definitely agree with with everything you guys said. And speaking of keywords, Ashley, you mentioned the word reliance, which I really wanted to bring up this comment here from Felipe, where he says he's seen times that the client was creating an in-house app and the team left the company and then they lost a lot of money and needed to find other resources to continue the project. So I'm, I'm guessing this happens, right? People leave and that reliance factor, you can't you can't rely on some people, especially if it's very uh, select few individuals that know how to run this thing. Very common thing that we see. Very common. And, and the, that team, unfortunately, that left the company probably didn't have great documentation. As we all know, that's not a part of most development cultures. Great if you're on the call and it is part of yours. Yes, yes. And I've seen comments here about, you know, making your own tires, you wouldn't do that. And Scott's adding here that if you want to bake bread, you can, but don't try to grow in your own wheat, because you should focus on the strategic core of your I love that. Business. I might I might use that, Scott, if that's okay. <laughs> that's great marketing material. Yes, Chris jumped in here on your Hadoop comment. So he says, you know, he's definitely seen companies stick with their own custom Hadoop solutions, but are now stuck with outdated systems that they are on the hook for maintenance because so many users are on it and they can't upgrade without having a major effect on their users. I guess that's another aspect that we didn't really get into yet is that whole maintenance. Once you build it, you have to maintain it. And I guess that's, Marvin, your point on that collaboration. What are your thoughts on outdated systems and, and maintenance? Well, even just think about from an application perspective, back in the day, you would just have to worry about a web browser. Now you have to worry about a desktop, a web browser, a mobile application. Oh, and by the way, it's Windows, Mac, this, that. I mean, it's it's just overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm just looking that there's another comment from Leandro that's adding on to Felipe saying that, you know, currently it's so hard to hold a tech team inside your business because turnover has never been this high. Yeah, I mean, people no longer stick around with a company for 25 years, at least not that I'm aware of, right? They tend to hop around a bit more. So it's, uh, it makes a little bit more sense now that I'll oh, send SciSense. I just heard myself. It makes a little bit more sense to buy a solution that has this team of, I think, actually, you said 800 people that can collaborate with you and support you in your time of need. So I think that was uh, an interesting comment there. And Scott said you can use his comment anytime. I will, I will, give, I, I will give the attribution noted. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So another question I had for you guys is for an organization that's thinking to make a buy decision, right? Let's say they watch their session and they're like, I'm not building it. I'm not going to spend much my time and I don't want to rely on the people. They're finally ready to make this buy decision. What advice would you have for them? Kind of what would be the next step that they should take? Well, I'll go first since Marvin and Ashley are kind of quiet. I think the first, the first 
advice is to really, um, how can I say this? Do your due diligence, right? See who, who is out there who can help them. It's very easy to be biased towards provider, a, a given vendor or partner because you work with them in the past. But it's a really important decision. So you need to do your due diligence. And then as part of the conversation with the possible options you may have, I think a very important question is how many customers or products are successful out there with the help of the vendor, right? Don't go only by the number of features or the number of whistles that the software may sell, right? Because one more time, you want to evaluate the entire option as a partner, not only as a technology provider. Right? So it's really important to, to take a look at, at how successful that provider, that, that given vendor is out there. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my first advices. And then not yeah. to sell Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ash. I would say and get the proper buy-in. This often will start as a product decision or sometimes technology. And then you have counterparts on the other side. So get the proper buy-in to do the investigation. Build always becomes one of the paths. It all, it's always, you know, size sense, maybe another vendor and build. And so really get the proper buy-in to do this. And then the the biggest advice I always give our actual prospects and customers, don't boil the ocean. It's great to have the strategy that you want this going to 10,000 customers and doing all of these things. Pick a use case to nail first and really go after that. And then standard product delivery, you know, don't give it to all customers at once, but, but really find the most impactful use case, go after that first, prove success, and then build on top of that. I love that comment, Ashley. Just do me a favor, because I'm going to come back to that. Um, I think that that's an incredible point. I want to make sort of an analogy to that. But one of the things that I was going to say is you need to begin, where do you begin, right? And I think that, as we were saying earlier, you need to begin with the decision makers. Um, Not to sound self-serving, but I think you really do need to identify a professional services partner. Um, And look, fine, don't use data meeting. Use somebody else. Use somebody who you're familiar with working. But at the end of the day, It's important for you to partner with organizations that are coming back from the place that you're going to, because independent of whether or not you've got an incredibly talented CIO, CTO within the organization, the difference with working with the partner professional services organization is they have 10, 20 of those, right? It's the difference between the MacGyver and the A-team, right? So with an organization like Data Meeting, you're going to have the UI UX, you're going to have the security expert, the infrastructure expert, the analytics expert. It's an entire team that comes in and supports. And by the way, I'm not even talking about supporting you from an implementation perspective. I'm simply saying engage with them to simply advise you through that decision process. And so I think that, you know, really, I would suggest find a really good partner that can be part of that decision team when you make that decision. And then just going back really quickly to, to Ashley's point, I think that's that's the absolute way to go, right? Because at the end of the day, in many ways, this could be considered eating an elephant, building an application, even if it's just buying it off the shelf and customizing and white label it, it's still an effort that you're going to need to undertake that is greater than a traditional dashboarding or analytics project. And so the analogy that I like to think of is Just remember, uh, I'm not sure if how many of you guys remember out there, but when the Uber app first came out, it had one button. I mean, you couldn't even enter your address. You couldn't even tell them where you were going. It literally had one button that said, pick me up here. (laughs) And now it's incredible, right? Depending on the region that you're at, um, in some, like for example, when COVID happened, 
during the re- I couldn't even change my destination. So once I had entered it, I couldn't even change my destination. And that was different based off of every region. So obviously the product has evolved, but the product evolves through the feedback that you receive from your customers. And so going back to Ashley's point, I think that that's probably one of the best advices that I've heard is go MVP, you know, and then ultimately build up from that so that you don't get yourself into into problems. You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So first of all, can we not eat elephants? I personally love <laughs> elephants so much. I know it's a common saying. Maybe Scott everything. can give me a, another. another. Uh, well, we started the call with eat your own dog food, which I've always said, drink your own champagne, because, you know, that, that just sounds more appealing to me. So let's just, <laughs> you know, let's go with the champagne example. Yeah. I'll be the one now selling that quote, Ashley. <laughs> so I absolutely love all the advice that you guys have provided for the audience here. I want to talk a little bit more about the finding the right partner, because I think that's really important for the organizations. I know Ashley SciSense is, is a great solution, and I think it's kind of like a no-brainer. Okay, this is the solution, and this is what we do at SciSense, right? And here are our strengths and, and all of that. But from finding a partner, it's a little bit more vague because consultants do a variety of different things. So if you guys want to just talk about what does data meaning actually provide for clients? I know you mentioned helping with actually making this decision. You mentioned implementation, but what would be the spectrum of offerings that a client might get from you? Yeah, I think, you know, it it would be just the points that I made earlier. The organization should have a UI UX uh, expertise um, because ultimately all of the applications are going to need to interface with the customer. The organization should have experience in custom software development so that they not only do off the shelf, but they've actually built their own custom software in the past and have a good track record of being able to do so. Typically, once you have that, these organizations will also have strong security um, expertise, strong infrastructure expertise, and definitely strong data expertise. So those are some of the key sort of things that I think you should be looking for with a professional services partner, at least. And then with a partner, how long do you typically stay? And I know this will vary on engagement. So let's say you you join an organization to help them implement. Is there a point in time where you're like, okay, you guys are good now. I'm going to go talk to other clients. Or do you kind of stay on as a point of contact for the foreseeable future while they're while you're, you know, helping them with this solution? Yeah, you know, it's with with the software, even though you're not custom building it, there is a customization component to it because ultimately you're white labeling it. So I would argue that that relationship doesn't end. Now, obviously, look, there are some relationships that go south, but ultimately you're always going to have a partner that should be there for you. And again, going back to the point that we made earlier, which is you don't want to be on an island on your own. You always want to have someone on the technology side, obviously, Sisense to be able to lean on and on the professional services side to be able to lean on. So that, that relationship never gets cut off. Obviously, if you're with a successful partner and if you have a good in-house team that you've built up, then the way that it would work is you would be able to transition the development and most of the support, let's say, to the organization itself. And then what will eventually happen is, is the relationship becomes much more advisory mm-hmm. in nature, or in some cases, obviously, you know, we have a big part of our business is just managed services. So in the event that it's too expensive for you to manage the organization, then you would preferably also be working with a partner 
that has expertise in running managed services contracts. And, you know, not to be self-serving, but I'll just sort of put this sort of plug in there for us, I guess, is in many cases, supporting the application. Let me just throw a number out there, which is not a real number, but let's just say that the application only requires 40 hours per month, just to throw out a silly number to be able to support it. Well, guess what? It doesn't make sense to hire a full-time person if the only thing that they're going to be doing is working, at least for this specific use case, 40 hours a month. So the advantage of working with an organization that provide managed services is you can basically pay a fraction of the cost for only the hours that you're using for support. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And plus, you guys are specialized in this manner where hiring an external person or having somebody dedicate 40 hours of their time per hour of per month where there might be, you know, taking on other roles to make up the other time. They're kind of pulled in too many directions. So I think that focused and specialized support is really important. We'll take one more comment here as we get closer to our wrap-up time. It's, it's kind of a big one, but it brings us back to cost. And it's seeming like cost is one of these really important topics when you're building versus buying. So Lee is saying for most companies, they think they can build it better and faster. Then they realize the cost involved, the skills required. Uh, the key thing for commercial engagement is to try and get the client to understand the true cost of ownership which is usually the most contentious point in negotiations. Nail this and you're 50% there. So I wanted to just briefly talk about this true cost of ownership after you, you know, if you decide to go with the build route. And I think what's difficult is sometimes is putting an actual number on this, right? We can't pull a number out of a hat. So have you had experiences where companies were able to come up with a number and say, oh, you know, if we build it, it will cost us this much. And, you know, what are some of the factors that went into coming up with that number? Because I'm assuming even if I think, Ashley, you said we're going to, you know, maybe talk to company X, company Y, and then build is always one of the options. So what, you know, when they're talking about build, you're trying to compare numbers. What numbers are we looking at there? Yeah, from my perspective, I lean in heavily to a lot of the things we talked about. It's not just the build phase. Sure, anybody can get can can take a swipe at, at what that is. And engineering leaders do that every day, all day to prove the value of their, what their team's providing. Think about the maintenance after and will the data in the background change and what will that take? And so I'm not a big fan. There's no one customer that's like the next of just giving a calculator. You know, I, I've been asked by our sales team, of course, give me an ROI calculator. Sure, we can do that. It's not going to be genuine. It's not going to be authentic. So it's really helping them think through and understand all of the things that they're not thinking about right now and all of the human power and the system costs that that's going to take. And that's where you can really start to see the light bulb go off. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I like that response, uh, Ashley. And, and because, you know, I, I would even go even stronger with, with my verbiage to say it's, it's very short-sighted to believe that you can even begin to quantify that. And again, you know, I love examples. So think about the Teslas of the world. You know, I, I don't have one, but I, I got a lot of friends that do. And I remember one time when someone had told me, hey, listen, a new update came out and it downloaded directly to my car. And now I can just go faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? The point that I want to make is for that to happen, they needed to have dropped a lot of money on research and development. So let's not even talk about the maintenance. Let's not even talk about the continual updates. Let's talk about spending R&D budget to make sure that you are always at the forefront 
of technology, which is something that you'll never really be able to quantify, but it's something that you get out of the box with a partner like SciSense. My only comment in this regard is, is typically more than a numbers game, it's kind of an implications game when you're having that conversation. It's an implications game, right? And I think Marvin went over a list a few answers ago, right? And, and it's very easy for organizations to start doing their own math. Right. And say, so, okay, if I have to have all these skills in the organization for this long, then they immediately start realizing the trade-off between the two options. As Ashley said, it's difficult to put a calculator, but one more time, organizations are very good at quickly getting an order of magnitude versus one and the other when they mm-hmm. know the implications of the build option. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for answering that. And I guess a lot of organizations try to put a number on it, but I would assume a lot of them miss some of the points that you guys have covered here today, kind of like the taking into account that collaboration with experts where you can save time or reliance on whether, you know, if the person actually leaves, I don't know how you quantify something like that. The team leaves. Okay, well, what number do we put on this, right? They're, they're, it's, it's, it's very difficult. But we are getting to the end of the conversation here. I really want to thank you guys so much. As we wrap up, I love to ask the question because we do still have questions coming in and I'm assuming the audience would love to continue this conversation. So if you can just let the audience know where is the best place for them to either learn more about the company or where they can find you to continue this conversation. I think let's start with uh, with Hector this time. Yeah, in our case, datameaning.com, that's the best place to learn about us. As far as reaching out to us, one more time, you can use the channels provided in the website, but also feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. All that's, right, that's LinkedIn, that's, tip, that's a typical answer. Marvin, how about you? Yeah, I would actually just lean directly on LinkedIn. And for the reason, for the following reason is, I think it's important for us to provide as much free educational content as possible and to be able to reach you where you are. And so for that reason, we know that everybody's already going to LinkedIn. So we don't want to force you to come to our site. I'd say follow us on LinkedIn. We've got daily educational content that's being pumped out on a daily basis. So if you follow, you're always going to get the notification and we're always going to be providing as much free educational content as possible on LinkedIn. All right. Thank you, Marvin. And Ashley? Well, this is going to sound boring because my answer is not much different, but SciSense.com is where you can go to to read up on white papers, analyst research, the SciSense way. And then, of course, I follow us on LinkedIn and feel free to reach out to me directly and we'll have a chat on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, what a coincidence. We're live on LinkedIn. So this is perfect. <laughs> People are already on the platform. So go ahead. I encourage everybody, you know, follow Dana Meaning, follow SciSense, go to their website, check them out. Thank you so much to the panelists for a really great conversation here and a huge thank you as well to the audience for your great comments and questions. I apologize if we didn't get to all of them, but we could be here all day if we had, if we were, you know, to answer all the questions. So I really appreciate your engagement and yeah, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, stay dedicated.